What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. And I'm Lee Berman, and this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? I don't know who needs to hear it, but by the time this episode airs, there will have just been a pretty important election on November 3rd. With the presidential election set in the backdrop of the pandemic, it feels like healthcare and health policy have been at the center of the political stage for months now. And as medical students, health policy reform within the next few years will shape the system we learn and work in in residency and beyond. Today, Simon Yadger, a second-year medical student at UWSMPH with a strong interest in health policy, shares his ideas on the key flaws within the U.S. healthcare system and a single-payer option as the solution. So this is the U.S. healthcare system designed to make people rich, not make people healthy by Simon Yadger. To my fellow healthcare workers in training, Both the World Health Organization and the majority of U.S. physicians agree that all people deserve access to health care. Despite widespread support for the idea that health care is a human right, the structure of the U.S.'s profit-driven health care system violates that right by making health care inaccessible to tens of millions of people. The U.S. is the only high-income country without nationally guaranteed access to basic health care. 30 million people, or 10% of the U.S. population, have no insurance making the U.S. the only high-income country with more than 0.2% of its populace uninsured. For people fortunate enough to receive health care in the United States, the annual per capita cost is $5,000 higher than the average high-income country, adding up to more than $1.5 trillion in excess costs. Paradoxically, the high cost of care comes with worse health care outcomes, The U.S. has the lowest life expectancy of all OECD countries and a maternal mortality rate that is six times higher than all of Western Europe. The disconnect between the care we pay for and the care we get occurs because that extra $1.5 trillion that U.S. citizens pay for health care goes to pharmaceutical, insurance, and private health care companies rather than towards providing better care. This is the fundamental problem of our health care system. It is designed to make people rich, not to make people healthy. Of course, those who benefit from such a system have found a myriad of mechanisms to optimize profit, such as avoiding enrolling people likely to incur high costs and ensuring that those who end up requiring more care lose their insurance. The very concept of employer-based insurance benefits insurance companies by keeping healthy, employed people covered and paying premiums while weeding out those who are too sick to work and who inevitably need more care. In our current system, patients are often left powerless over their health care. 
In countries with public insurance, people can make democratic change when they are dissatisfied with their health care and associated costs. Private U.S. insurance companies, however, make decisions based on profit and are held accountable to only their shareholders. Patients never get the opportunity to bargain for the cost of medical services and rarely even know the cost of their care until they get a bill. Additionally, lack of regulation allows pharmaceutical companies to demand any price for needed medication, and patients have no choice but to pay up. The complexity of our insurance market further makes it extremely difficult for people to make informed decisions about their health care. Our current system expects simple supply and demand principles to provide fair and effective health care, but evidence shows that patients suffer when insurance, pharmaceutical, and private health care companies have a monopoly on life-saving care. I believe that it's our responsibility as future healthcare professionals put, to put an end to this archaic system that has insidiously harmed our patients and our society for too long. I believe that a single-payer system is the only solution to the problem I've described. A single-payer system would mean that all basic healthcare costs would be paid for by the government, funded through taxes. Such a system includes the following advantages compared to our current system. All individuals would be covered, regardless of employment, health, or socioeconomic status. It would prioritize care that leads to the best outcomes rather than care that generates the most revenue. Healthcare professionals would be able to focus on providing quality care instead of navigating the complex rules and billing schemes of thousands of different private insurers. It would end the monopolistic behavior of pharmaceutical companies that prevents people from receiving life-saving care. The empower to improve healthcare would be in the hands of the people by making insurance transparent, equal, and subject to democratic reform. Finally, each U.S. taxpayer would save on average thousands of dollars yearly by removing profit-taking middlemen and dramatically reducing administrative costs. A single-payer solution is the ideal alternative to our current medical system. It would improve health outcomes, reduce the cost of healthcare, and put an end to the tragic profiteering of our country's health. It's easy for us to wag the finger at the billionaire healthcare executives. We, as the healthcare providers of tomorrow, are responsible for making this change. We owe it to ourselves to create an environment where we can work with pride, and we owe it to our patients to defend their health and dignity. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for sharing your piece with us and for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a very interesting piece. Could you tell us more about kind of what drove you to write this? I think that I had been involved in thinking about healthcare reform for a long time. And this was the first time that I had sort of put it down on paper in a formal way that would potentially be disseminated to people I wasn't having a face to face conversation with. I felt that it was important for. My, me personally to do. I felt like it it let out a lot of what I'd been feeling for a long time. And I also think that um, it's important for medical students like myself to advocate in this more of a formal platform as well. Yeah. And you seem to be very passionate about it. Do you have any personal or clinical experiences where you have felt that the patient wasn't getting the care they needed because of lack of health insurance or maybe on their insurance? I think that almost every single American in this country has experienced the effects of our healthcare system in some way. 
I think that it's definitely on a sort of sliding scale in terms of how severe you experience the inequity that is created by the healthcare system. But even myself who, you know, I'm a medical student and I, I grew up in like a, in a suburban America, not really ever wanting for everything, anything, even myself, I have avoided care because of costs or being unsure what the system is going to put me through. Um, And certainly I've experienced even as a first-year medical student volunteering at the free clinics, patients who have experienced it much more severely than myself, who literally when told by a doctor, you need to go to the hospital right now, you could die, it was a decision for them. Do I risk my own life or do I risk financial ruin? And we, we know that healthcare is you know the number one cause of bankruptcy in this country. For, and many people can't even afford the basic care that I think in most countries that the development that the United States is, is just simply taken for granted. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that statistic about um, healthcare being the number one cause of bankruptcy in the U S that's. Yeah. It's like 70, 70% of all bankruptcies, I think have some component of healthcare involved in it. Yeah. It's really telling too, that even though we're really early in our careers as physicians, we've all seen situations in which, not having insurance or being underinsured has directly prohibited someone from getting like life-saving care that they need. Yeah, absolutely. And the the other component is that I think a lot of people who don't need to use healthcare as much don't realize that it's just it's not just a binary oh you're you have healthcare insurance or you don't have healthcare insurance. There there's the whole concept of being underinsured is everywhere. I mean almost uh, tens of millions more people are underinsured than are un- completely uninsured in the United States. And that has a huge effect on the way people get care. And there, there's more statistics on the proportion of people in the U.S. who have insurance that still don't get the care that they need because they're afraid of cost. And the people that don't adhere to medications, don't refill prescriptions, and simply just avoid getting health care that they know that they need. They've been told by doctors that they need because they can't afford it or they're afraid that they can't afford it. Yeah, I think that's thanks for defining underinsured because I think that is something that you know, you don't hear directly as much about as being totally uninsured, but like you said it affects more people in this country. Simon, when did you first start learning about health policy reform and the problems specifically within the US? I I think one of the most Powerful examples for me was I spent some time specifically in Brazil, which has a universal health coverage uh, system. It's not exactly what would be proposed under single payer. It's partially private, partially public. Um, And I think there's some disadvantages to that. However, their society decided that everybody's health care was important in investing in. And as a country that is arguably more diverse than the United States, certainly much poorer on average. It just seemed like a decision that they had made that they wanted to invest in their people's health. And there's not really any excuse, I think, for the United States to have not made that decision. What do you say to people who, when you talk about single payer, they have concerns about like, well, 
this will just make it impossible for me to see the doctor that I want. This will make lines too long. This will make like technological and medical innovation really difficult to come by. Like, what do you say to those people? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different arguments in there. For example, with technologies, I think empirically we've seen that countries with single payer or at least very compared to the United States public health insurance have been involved in as much if not more innovation than the United States, Germany, France, England. You know, these countries are not just uh, leeching off of the innovation that's going on in the United States. In terms of wait times, there's huge variety across single-payer countries in terms of how long people are waiting for different procedures. And they've also really found from empiric studies that people have not really had to sacrifice healthcare when moving to a single-payer system. The number, for example, for physicians, the number of visits don't really go up, but the people that really need visits are able to get them much more easily. And and essentially what's happening is people who have more elective visits are just going to them less frequently. And I, th- I think it, it really comes down to, this is actually a really important concept, I think, in single payer, is the ability, and this, this is in the piece, the ability to advocate for what you think is important as a as a group, mm-hmm. which we don't have with a private insurance system. You know, the as I said, the private insurance, they don't care how their people who pay their premiums turn out. They care what their shareholders want them to do. They, they care about making more profit. Um, but in a system where one, everybody has the exact same plan and, and two, everybody knows what that plan is, because in a private system, most people don't even know what they're covered for. They have no idea what anything costs. You can actually group together and say, this procedure, the wait time is so long. For all of us, we think it's a problem. How can we change that? How can we invest in what we believe is important? And that's a, that's what it comes down to, investing in what we as a country believe is important. In the United States, our policy says we don't think the health of our people is important. You know, and that's what single payer would that's the first step of single payer saying we this is what we believe is important that everybody should have the same starting place. And I, I think that allows people to advocate for themselves for what they think is important in terms of specific coverage, adding more resources to certain areas. You know, you, you get what you decide to put into it. If we decide to invest more in our healthcare system, it will only get better. Yeah. And it seems you bring up a good point. It seems like it's about increasing accessibility, not only from the economic perspective, but also from, you know, the educational and like health literacy perspective. As you said, a lot of people don't really know what they gain out of their health insurance or what privileges they have by paying for a health insurance. But it seems like having a more standardized um, system that provides that information to people can also be a way to increase, you know, healthcare for the whole population. Yeah, well, I think this is a sort of another component of the private insurance is that it really requires that everybody be their own health manager of their own health. It, it it requires individual patients to make decisions about when to seek healthcare and, and what healthcare to seek. 
that would require, you know, like a medical degree in some cases. And that's, I don't think, fair for patients. I think under a single payer system, you remove a lot of the burden from patients who are expected to understand a lot of the health decisions. And obviously, you know, if you have a, a primary care physician, they can, they help you make decisions, right? But in terms of seeking care, that's something that we right now are, uh, we have to balance how much is it going to cost versus how much do I need this healthcare. Um, and in a single payer system, that just goes away. And and people, there's much less burden on individual patients in terms of health literacy, which is, I think, is another huge burden that we see right now. Yeah, I think even for people who do have medical degrees, the insurance system is so impossible to understand. Yeah. Like, I remember they had us do one assignment in our first year looking, I think it was part of one of the PACE cases, which is like small yeah. group cases. And I remember just being like, well, how am I supposed to learn anything about this ever? Because it's literally like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Like, even if even medical students don't know that what that is, and even doctors don't know what that is, this is not just a problem for patients, um, which I think at the end of the day, everything for single payer comes back to making care accessible and making care better for individual patients. But the economic component is, I think, really important. And the phenomenon that you're describing that our, our insurance systems are so, so, so complex that even people with degrees in medicine don't know what is going on and couldn't figure it out means that there's so many, so many unnecessary jobs and systems in place, software designed specifically to deal with the complexity of this problem that was created because there's so many different private health insurances. And that is one of the biggest areas of excess costs in the United States. There, there are situations in the U.S. where there's more billing clerks in some hospitals than there are hospital beds. And that just creates an exorbitant amount of excess costs. From a logistics perspective, where would the funding for this system come from? Like, yeah. Who would be the single payer? Right. So it would be taxes. And Sanders, for example, his program comes along with a like tax on extreme wealth that would essentially cover the entire like healthcare reform, right? So Jeff Bezos is paying. <laughs> Right. Jeff Bezos could essentially just give a single payer if he wanted to. <laughs> um, but I think another thing that people have to remember is that what if, if you are currently insured through your employer, which most people with private health insurance are, you still pay essentially a tax to a pool of money that gets everyone on your insurance covered, right? And it would essentially just be moving that amount of money that you pay to your taxes. Uh, so instead of paying it to your employer, to a private health insurance company, you'd be paying it to the government. And that amount of money would be much less, as I said, on average, $5,000 a year less. So I, I always, it's always interesting when people ask, where's the money going to come from for this? And the answer is, um, you'd actually get, be getting money back. <laughs> and and one, th one thing I love about single payer is one of the few, um, I think, very socially responsible things to advocate for that also will save everybody more money. 
So, and I, I think there's there's so many economic advantages to single payer, especially for owners of small businesses who don't have to worry about providing insurance for their employees anymore. Essentially, anyone who isn't extremely wealthy um, is going to be paying less overall. You're just going to be saving money, period. And then you don't have to worry about little healthcare expenses because it's paid for publicly. So the, the money's coming from where we already have it. It's, it's coming from the insurance companies, essentially. Simon, your, your piece outlines kind of the benefits that a single-payer system would have for patients. But from a physician perspective, what do we have to gain from it? Yeah, I think that I'm really glad you asked because this is something obviously that I'm very passionate about. And this is like the non-altruistic component of it for me, the, the part that I feel like it, my life will be better in a single payer system as a future doctor. And I, I think, you know, we people talk about the burnout rates for doctors and spending something like 20% of their time doing billing work or talking to insurance companies and advocating for their patients. That's a huge component of why why single payer would eradicate that and also just thinking about patients who are you know unable to get the care that they need and like thinking about that as a doctor is not something i want to do i want to be able to treat patients with the best care that they can get regardless of their insurance status and i don't want to deal with patients who are afraid to adhere to their medication because they're afraid of paying for it or just having conversations about health financing with people who are already so burdened with health problems. I think it just adds another layer of job dissatisfaction for doctors when they have to work in a system that puts them and their patients at every disadvantage. That's a really important point. Like this would actually make doctors more successful at their jobs because you're not worried that patients can't afford their medications and therefore aren't treating their diabetes or their hypertension. Like it physically would enable us to do our jobs better. Right. Yeah. And, and Sort of to take it back to even to the the patient outcome perspective, and I think this is something that's very hard to measure. So it's not often in the sort of single payer stats literature that you'll see out there. But our one downstream result of a private healthcare system is that there's a huge emphasis on tertiary care and patients receiving care for to, to pre- prevent like severe morbidity and mortality. But in single payer systems where people have access to preventative care, there's no barriers to preventative care. Ideally, we could prevent a large proportion of what is the most uh, burdensome disease in patients just by getting people preventative care they need, hooking up with primary care physicians. And not only is that better for patient outcomes, but again, it's way cheaper to do preventative care than to do uh, end-stage care. And uh, that's something that I I wish was something we could quantify, because I think it's a huge component of all of this. Um, and I think it contributes to a lot of the poor healthcare outcomes in the United States, but that I think that's a hard EPI study to design. I guess uh, I personally get very frustrated, I think, sometimes with being a medical student in a medical system where even though a lot of the words that we use and the, the way we talk about medicine is patient-centered. It feels culturally that it's the focus is on ourselves, even at the medical student level. You know, all we talk about is our grades. All we talk about is what our next steps are. And um, 
I think starting medical school and like being thrown into a world where I was forced to be like so self-focused frustrated me a lot. And I think being involved in this has really refreshed my outlook on being a doctor and being able to think about how I can actually, you know, try and make the world a better place and and use my voice, as I already said. So I definitely did write this, I think, out of a place of feeling frustrated, even as a medical student with the sort of inward looking culture, I think that sometimes we feel like feel like we have in, in medicine, and especially coming from like all of our interviews, where the conversations are so patient focused. And what are you gonna do for the patient? And how are you gonna like deal with these patient situations? And of course, we get tons of that in medical school as well. I just felt like I should be doing more and uh, wanted to spend my energy doing something that made me feel, I guess, good about being a doctor and not just thinking about myself and my own worries about what scores I'm getting and what residency I can and can't get into. And I, I, I again, like the frustration for me comes from this worry that that this like current inward focus in medical school is going to translate to inward focus as a resident. What jobs can I get inward focus as a physician? What's my salary going to be? And even talking to a lot of doctors who oppose Medicare for all and worry that, you know, like their salaries are going to be like maybe a couple of percentage points lower than it is in the future. And it's just so frustrating. Like I thought medical school interviews screened for people that really cared about patients. And you're worried about like a couple thousand dollars a year from your paycheck when there's literally tens and tens of millions of people who are unnecessarily burdened with like extreme financial crises uh, and healthcare cost issues and like all of this stuff. So it it is a lot, I think, to ask doctors to, on top of, you know, their day-to-day work, be involved in making their healthcare system better. But we are in a situation where people actually listen to us. So I, I think that's why we have to be the ones to drive this forward. Yeah. I do want to say that I'm super glad that you turned whatever frustration you were feeling in medical school into writing, which then turned into this podcast. So, yeah, me too. Thank you. This is literally our goal, like come into li- like come to life. Like, <laughs> like we should create an outlet for medical students, and then this is great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Every time a medical student was frustrated, they did something like this. Medical system would be solved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you guys feel that way. It means a lot to hear that. Like, my opinions are validated. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for talking with us, Simon. We really appreciate having you here and um, think we had a really informative and um, interesting conversation. Even as medical students, we can all share experiences in which we have seen how the lack of or even under insurance have been barriers to healthcare. We are glad that people like Simon are not only thinking about these problems, but also looking for solutions on how to make healthcare accessible to all. Thanks for listening. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at WBYIT underscore UWSMPH. We'll see you for our follow-up in two weeks. Have a nice day. 
Funding for What Brings You In Today is provided by the Kern Foundation.